Welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager for Basketball Australia. Today's guest is Mark Alabakov. I got that right. The NBL One Championship winning coach with the Bendigo Braves. Mark has also had significant involvement at the WNBL level with the Bendigo Spirit, Melbourne Boomers, Townsville Fire, and as they were then, the Sydney Uni Flames. He also has a great understanding of basketball at the community level through a role with the Diamond Valley Basketball Association. On this episode, we'll talk about the incredible season Mark and his team have just had and the secrets behind their championship success. Mark, welcome to Building Better Basketball. Great to be here. So over the past couple of years, you've achieved a Steve Kerr, Golden State Warriors-esque 30-win-5-loss record. And then this year, you... I think it would be safe to say had a Michael Jordan-esque Chicago Bulls year where you went 28 and 0. So what are some of the key, I guess, coaching strategies or approaches that have played a pivotal role in this long-term success that you've had? Well, it's been a wild ride. It's uh I liken it to being like a Disney movie, um, especially this past season. But I mean, it's the philosophy that, you know, three, four years ago, um, we planted seeds for the program to grow to the level that it's become. Uh, And the day that you plant the seeds isn't the day that you pick the fruit. So we've had to cultivate uh, an environment, um, uh, you know, play a coach relationship um, across the the course of a number of different players, um, a development pathway that's been real and tangible. And then, uh, you know, a philosophy, I guess, that, you know, mine is the, the strong take from the weak, but the smart take from the strong. So we try to really root in preparing a, a team to win a game through, you know, cognition and decision-making and awareness of the, the things that they can impact um, and then being able to always steer back to those things. Uh, I guess another thing that's been really important to the program has been um, for me trying to keep my message brief um, that I think that brevity is clarity is memory and I'm always fighting that battle to to try and distill down to the most important points so that I can reach you know athletes wherever they are along the the pathway and the pipeline I love one of the things that I love in that answer Mark is there's three I can't even remember what the the word to describe them is but there's three of those little kind of like phrases or catch cries that you can just have just to like they're they're those things that are like written on the top of a whiteboard or just on the bottom of a session plan and you're like is that is it clear is it um am I watering the seeds all that all those kind of analogies that just kind of take you out of the basketball mindset for a little bit and put you into that coaching mindset so that's that's awesome and, and something that the listeners can can take away and use one of the points that you've mentioned is, is focusing on developing those players from the, the greater Bendigo region. How do you as a coach ensure the sustainable, sustainable, tripping over that word, success of the program, which is obviously the priority at the NBL one level, whilst also making sure that you're managing that pipeline and nurturing the, the local talent to come through? Well, I think first and foremost, gaining a sample size of the athletes that are going to be, you know, under your guidance, um, and that gives you a capacity to meet the learners where they're at um, and take them on the next steps. So and not everybody is destined to become, uh, you know, the the next Penny Taylor or the next Lauren Jackson. But if you can make them or, or 
put them in a, an environment to cultivate the best version of themselves. I think that you've achieved your your goal as a, a coach. Um, you know, being able to get a sample size, you get a knowledge of any um, game IQ or skill discrepancies that you'll need to uh, be able to address. And then for me, it might be a little bit old school in thinking, but um, I think I try to address technical skills first. So some of that will be with blocked practice. So addressing a, a technical or skill discrepancy and give a, um, I guess, a game plan um, for, for the athlete to be able to execute that in a, a way that is optimal. Um, then obviously try to randomize that with um, some confusion, some um, small-sided games, some advantage, disadvantage, um, give the skill some context. But I learned a long time ago from Mike Dunlap, um, whatever you coach, coach it to look good. So in, I guess, the bridge between block to random practice, um, try to formulate your drills in a way that lends itself to more successful repetitions, um, you know, generates a bit of buy-in, but, um, you know, you can always crank it up um, and, you know, be able to build confidence from that as opposed to aiming the bar too high, um, having a whole lot of failed repetitions and then need, needing to drop the bar, so to speak. Uh, and then one of the things that I'm really passionate about is interleaved practice. So once we get to the stage where we've got you know, some technical uh, ability, uh, the skill developed in context and an understanding around that uh, and, you know, and where it sort of fits, um, being able to commit things to memory um, and understanding. So being able to take a, a number of different concepts, for instance, um, and not have them in you know, a defined order that goes from A to B to C. You might have um, skill or concept A um, that you practice, you know, in you know in we'll say slot number one and then slot number two will be skill b for instance um and then you'll switch back to the other you'll teach things differently um, and you'll jump between the the two or three concepts so that you're able to have the athlete uh you know anchor back i guess to to the knowledge that they've been able to create or the memory that they've been able to create with understanding around it that's you know i guess forms the the basis of a lot of the way that i teach so You've talked there a lot about, I suppose, not only basketball skill, but also about the athlete as an individual. And we hear it a lot across all sports about it's not, we don't want to create an army of robots. We want that uniqueness to remain within the, the athletes as they are. So prioritizing the human being first and the, and the basketball player in this instance second. For those that aren't aware, like those that are coaching in the community space or don't have an engagement with NBL one, depending on which state and territory they're in, can you give us a bit of an insight, I suppose, into how how often you get access to the athletes in your training sessions and stuff, and how you integrate that approach into your coaching methods during that time, I suppose, where you have to balance that between preparation for performance and um, skill development? Yeah, it's a great question because, I mean, we always have limitations. Um, we'll have two team practice sessions per week where I have a two-hour window, but I challenge myself to distill down what is most important to teach less things but teach better and perhaps clearer uh, in 90 minutes or less. Um, so sometimes our practices will, will go between... 75 to 90 minutes uh, and you know it's a challenge for me and my preparation and then practice planning and some of that is um, 
taking all of the things that I want to be able to teach in that particular session, uh, write them on a piece of paper, fold it in half, fold it in half again. And then that is, you know, that is what you teach, so to speak. So really distilling down to smallest amount of moving pieces. Um, I make myself available for extra individual sessions for our athletes. So that is over and above. Now for the community level coach, there isn't always that opportunity for court space because it's, you know, it's such a premium, um, but there's certainly the opportunity to um, pre or post practice, be able to put bricks in the wall of an athlete's development, you know, could be on the sideline while you're waiting for your court space um, and your, your booking to begin. Uh, it could be in the foyer of, uh, in a, a past life in community sport, have, have done ball handling drills, for instance, or um, ball handling drills with queuing, um, you know, where an athlete will dribble a basketball and, and have to pass to a teammate when they raise a hand, whether it's their right or their left, they've got to get the ball to the closest hand and, and make a pass there. So you're, you're putting the skill in context where you don't need a whole lot of space to do that. You don't actually need to be on a basketball court, but um, challenging ourselves to be able to be creative in in how we can maximize the development of our team and the the learning that takes place under our care. So Bendigo has obviously got the unique situation where you also have the WNBL franchise sitting above you, but also separate in a way. It's been commented by people that spend a lot of time watching NBL one and across the whole spectrum of the country that the the culture and environment you've cultivated within your program at NBL one level rivals a, a WNBL program. Can you share some of the I guess examples of especially as someone that's had involvement at four different franchises in WL WNBL, how you built this culture and how you see it kind of having a direct flow onto performance, both in terms of on the court, but also like player satisfaction off the court. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very humbling that you, you say that because that's certainly what we set out to achieve. So I try to run the program um, very much like a WNBL light um, type of system. So I know it's very coach speak to talk about culture being a, a living thing and it you know definitely comes out um, at really opportune times. But I think ultimately the the environment becomes a product of your values. So you know, there's a, a saying that you can't fool children, animals, or basketball players. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I absolutely subscribe to that. I think the the product of values for me, empathy is a big piece. Um, so it it kind of harkens back to that idea of you know, that we're not coaching basketballers, we're coaching human beings that play basketball. So you know, seeking to understand circumstances that pertain to performance or pertain to their um, their lives and being able to be accommodating, um, you know, in a way for athletes to do the things that are meaningful to them uh, or take pressures off them um, for them to be able to perform. So it's almost a disarming type of um, of effect. The flexibility. So you know, you're you'll prepare. Um, you know, we'll say training plans, game plans, um, the pathway that you want to take players on, I think they need to be written in pencil and not pen. So uh, rigid, I guess, in your intention to help people get better or achieve a, an outcome, but flexible in the methods that you take to be able to do so. I mean, we've got um, a relationship with our players. And I mean, this is the next thing that I'll talk about is that the player coach relationship um, where our athletes will feel confident enough to come in and be like, hey, we've had a really long day um, at work. We've got this going on in our personal lives. Uh, we're here. We want to devote time to, to getting better as a, a team. But, you know, if there's 
a whole lot of things for us to be taught or a really long session ahead. You know, we're probably not in a position to to be able to absorb a whole lot. So, in, you know, being able to have that honesty and that um, clarity, then they can trust me and I can be reliable in being able to deliver, well, you know, what are the bite-sized pieces that I think that they'll be able to handle and then I can always add, um, you know, if if they show capacity to, but you're meeting, you know, them where where they're at in, in their real lives. Um, the relationship piece is really important. So you know, I use the garden analogy earlier. I think that's a garden that you water every day. Um, and it's not just about talking about things that pertain to performance or giving corrections, um, but learn about the people, uh, learn their parents' names, siblings' names, partners' names, you know, dogs' names, um, learn what they do for work or what they're passionate about, and then be able to go to them and ask them with specificity, you know, how is, um, like Amy Atwell, um, how's, Ray going with his billiard table business. Uh, and, you know, that's for an athlete in a, a 30 second conversation, you know, can, can let a, a player know that, you know, this coach genuinely cares about me as a human being has um, an interest in me as a, a person before asking for performance. And I think, you know, that goes a long way for, for disarming a lot of the challenges that you have. Um, you know, anytime there's dif uh, you know, differences in opinion or there's the pressure of, performance that weighs heavily the the relationship and the trust um, and the trustworthiness underpins all of that and allows for messages I think to get through seamlessly and, and understanding to be reached quicker so for those that don't know as well so Mark's got I'm not saying he's going to coach any animals on the court but he's got his basketball players that he can't fool anymore and then just before his, his championship winning he became a dad so congratulations as well on that Mark and as a parent of a child, you've got that challenge to look forward to, to fooling them as well. You talked about Amy there, the MVP, and, and Meg had a, an outstanding performance in the championship game as well. As a coach, when you have players that are operating at, at such an elite level individually, how do they help and how do you manage to maintain that strong team dynamic that, you must have had to to go through a season unbeaten. Well, there's probably a number of things at play there. So first and foremost, and this is another Mike Dunlapism. Um, I think the winning is in the picking. So that can be recruiting, or you know, if we're talking a rep level coach or a community coach, sometimes that can be in your player selection. Um, then I think the selection of the strategy that you have, um, you know, with your teams, are you are you going to promote reward? Um, and put the spotlight on selfless acts, team play, um, you know, things that are conducive to winning, but are um, egoless or entitlementless. And I think that's something that we've done from day dot. That's certainly helped in, in being able to put people in positions to be successful and, and not have ego become a, a part of that. Um, creating belonging. So no one being above the, the team um, or being above um, praise or being above correction. So from you know, when we bring emerging Braves players through into the NBL one program, and it could be a, an 18, uh, sorry, 17 year old um, Lavinia Cox, or it could be 39 year old Kelly Wilson. Um, no one is above anybody else uh, in, in the way that they're treated. So everyone's treated fairly. Um, but then, you know, again, as a, a human being, um, I think also, being able to put athletes in positions to be successful. So I think we have an obligation or it's always incumbent upon us to give the athletes what we think they need, but then also a little bit of what they want. Um, 
and when I talk about putting them in positions to be successful, you mentioned Amy and Meg. Amy is a, a world-class three-point shooter, um, but came to us with the wants to basically go into the basketball lab and be able to develop her ball handling, um, on-ball defense, uh, ability to create off a, a pick and roll. So all of these areas of the game that um, she wanted to you know, take the next step forward in. Um, but I think you know, to be able to do those confidently, you've got to be able to put her in positions to do what she does particularly well in the meantime, because I think that that, you know, that flows on and then is able to counterbalance um, the corrective nature of being able to acquire new skill or new knowledge. For Meg, I think, you know, where I talk about putting people in positions to be successful, um, I could be, you know, might be because of my age being a, a 1984 baby, but I've I've got lessons in or preparation in perhaps some quote unquote old school methodology in the way that the game was played, but um, some ideas and some concepts that have stood the test of time, um, i.e. having a, a back to basket low post player, um, but then have been able to live through in the formative years of my coaching, uh, modern coaching methods and been able to, to take the best of those things and try to mesh the two together. So things that have stood the test of time, but then great ideas that are going to propel us forward in into the next century and beyond. Um, so I think when I look at Meg, perhaps in situations in her past, you know, she I'm always about um, analogies. She's been a fish that's been judged by her ability to climb a tree where <laughs> I've been able to teach her to climb the tree, but put her in water so that she can swim, you know, like a, uh, an absolute champion. And, you know, we saw that come out at really opportune times. She had a incredibly successful NBL one South season, and then was a real catalyst for the national championship game um, and NBL one nationals. So, I mean, I hope that answers your question, you know, giving the, the athletes a bit of what they need, but then also a bit of what they, they want and what they do best to keep a flow of confidence going. Mate, I guarantee I'm going to use teaching a fish to climb a tree at some point. I've never heard that one before and I absolutely love it. You talked there a little bit about how the success and the responsibility of the program doesn't just flow up the way, it also flows down the way into that emerging Braves program and the broader basketball community in Bendigo, which is obviously, a, for those outside of Victoria, one of the biggest country areas in, in Victoria, so large participation numbers. How do you and, and the team and the, the club as a whole engage with the local community and contribute to that growth of women's basketball? Well, I think for us, especially in Bendigo, and I don't see how this would be any different necessarily in, in any other city, it's community touch points, it's visibility, but it's a genuine um, engagement. So for us, that might look like um, we'll do weekly appearances at schools um, and, you know, we take part in a, a reading program. We take part in what we call Fresh Fruit Fridays, where we'll um, talk about lifestyle habits and healthy habits um, as it pertains to food choices and deliver fruit to schools. Um, we'll run clinics at schools and promote physical activity. So all of these things that are going to being a complete and holistic, healthy person, um, but using basketball as the vehicle for that. Um the the relatability piece for us is is really big so you know they want to be seen in the community so you want to be able to go to woolies and be buying your bananas in the the fruit aisle uh, and see 
um, Cass McLean there and be able to go and have a chat to her. Um, the the realness and the quality time and the givingness of, of the quality time of our athletes has been a, a big catalyst for the community engagement that we've had. Um, some examples of that, you know, we had 1,500 plus people at our preliminary final against Mount Gambia for a standalone uh, women's basketball match, um, 1,500 paying members. Um, yeah, patrons. So that was amazing and amazing for the sport and women's sport in particular. Um, you know, we see kids in Braves gear and branded um, singlets that they've ordered with McLean or McKay or Atwell or Wilson um, just in the street. We had a, a girl at one of the schools that we do a reading program at dresses Meg McKay um, for book week. And there was a, a really heartwarming video on our social media accounts um, where Meg actually went and surprised the girl uh, the following week at her school and, and visited. Um, we had a, a girl get in touch with me um, that she had done a, an art project and, and drew a poster-sized picture by hand of Amy Atwell. Um, I had a, a parent contact me directly saying that his son um, had just been diagnosed with autism and two of the things that are able to through the regulate him and his condition are dinosaurs and the Benigo Braves. So they'll put on, um, they'll take him to games and then they'll put on games on KO um, that we've competed in and uh, he'll watch and cheer and apparently gets uh, very worried when we shoot a whole lot of three point shots because it's too far out, but he's okay. Yeah. If Amy Atwell shoots them, that's all right. <laughs> that's nice. um, the, the only other story I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, from a women's program to, to junior program standpoint, I mean, we've incorporated the, the under-18s and the youth league into a holistic women's program um, where we train together. Um, there's an investment between the, the all three of the programs. Um, and nothing makes me more proud than you know, we win the NBL One South Grand Final and overcome a whole lot of adversity to be able to achieve that. Um, and the girls proactively wanted to quickly cut down the nets, quickly race into the change room and do our little champagne um, celebration and then quickly get onto the bus because our youth league or Vic youth league, um, Vic champ youth league women were playing in their grand final at Keylor and they wanted to be there to support them. So rather than um, embellish themselves in the glory of, you know, the feats that we've just achieved, um, being able to go and support and you know, reach down the, the rungs on the ladder and pull the next group up was more important to them. And you know, that makes me proud of the culture that we've created and I guess is a great example of it. Awesome. Mark, looking ahead to the upcoming season, I guess, how do you build on a perfect record? And what, what does that mean for coaching priorities and goals when you're coming off a season where you were perfect for literally want of a better word. Yeah, well, I mean, it defies the laws of probability. So, you know, we would certainly try to do the same thing, but, you know, one of the hallmarks of our program has been that we're always qualitative. Um, we're always process-oriented and, and not results-driven. Um, I think it's Bill Walsh, the the old NFL coach, that had the phrase, um, the score takes care of itself, and it's something that I'm a firm believer in. So for me, you know, I think... It's just focusing on the the process of helping others achieve their goals and aspirations first. So that selfless service of athletes. So I've put my hand up uh, as well as Meg McKay and Cass McLean to coach our CBL, our country basketball league women's team, where um, the back end of our NBL one bench and the top end of our youth league team are going to be um the the roster for for that particular competition. But it's a 10-week block for us to 
um, gap fill, any knowledge or skill discrepancies, continue to, you know, use the analogy of reaching down the ladder and, and helping others up to the next rung um, and invest, um, you know, with genuity in that emerging Braves group coming through so that they're in a better position come NBL1 and, and Youth League preseason for participating in that competition. Um, myself, you know, I've got goals and aspirations to be a WNBL head coach, um, to coach a big country state team and even, uh, you know, on a staff with a junior national team. So for me, you know, in both my individual aspirations and then in bringing the program forward, it's always around helping others achieve their goals first. So I'm trying to up my own education. I'm being mentored by uh, a Spanish ACB coach, um, Gonzalo Rodriguez, um, weekly. So trying to uh, advance my knowledge, but continue to be a curveball in a fastball league. So, you know, differ myself from the way that coaches are prepared within the, the national landscape here. Um, and then I'll, I'll use the off season to continue to visit elite programs and um, you know, essentially steal ideas. Coaches are great thieves. So I'll, I'll go and visit some of the most resourceful coaches um, that have been successful, perhaps in spite of not always having the most resources, because I think there's something to that. Um, and grab ideas that I might be able to use for the coming season or, or ones in future. 100%. The best thieves is, a, is an excellent description. Mark, our final question that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, if you could ask one coach either with us or passed on in any sport, it doesn't have to be basketball, a question, who would the coach be and what would the question be? I harken back to that uh resourcefulness versus resources being a, a big theme of mine that I think and, and spend a whole lot of time re, uh, researching about. So for me, it's a tie. It would be um, Italian coach Ettore Messina and Spanish coach Sergio Scariolo. It'd be a tie between those two. But my question would be, what is the secret to longevity and impact um, over a course of many years in many different cultures. So both of those two coaches are a European, they've coached uh, in a number of European um, countries, obviously with um, different age groups, different um, areas on the, the ladder that the teams have been um, and different cultural norms uh, and have been wildly successful with and without resources. So being able to find out some insight into what's helped them be so prominent on the world stage for such a long time, that's something I would be interested in. I'll have to look them up. They're both new names to me. So thank you for, for that value add for me. Mark, thank you so much for giving up your time today. And I think success breeds interest and success breeds attention. And nothing breeds more attention than someone trying not to lose a game or maintain a streak. So I'm sure the eyeballs will will all be on uh, Bendigo when the NBL one season uh, tips off again later this year but enjoy the short break that you do have enjoy the young family and and thank you for your time appreciate you thank you for the opportunity to share and, and keep doing what you do it's a, a tremendous service to basketball and basketball coaches nationwide and worldwide I'm so